This is Radio Zaza, short for Radio Zaddy. Going to be covering mostly queer topics, but I don't know, whatever takes our fancy from time to time. I need to say, my name is Hannah Bestwick, and uh, we've got with me Daisy TG. TG and I are going to be talking about queer topics today. We might not always talk about queer things, but for the most part, I think that's probably going to be the primary basis. <laughs> yeah, any news before we go ahead? Any news? I mean, we're still very much in a in the COVID nineteen twenty twenty era. Yeah. Chapter, chapter eight. So how long has it been now? I mean, we're chapter eight of the, of, of the year. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> it's not going well, and we're making a podcast like everybody else. So here we go. I actually want to talk today about uh, queer hair. Okay. okay, so queer women's hair specifically. Excellent I. I just look I have I have this thing about my hair and about my relationship with my hair so I figured that that would probably be a good place to start um, now mo most straight people that I know have really normal and standard quite boring straight people hair um, and that's fine like that's nothing wrong with having boring hair but <laughs> almost all of the queer people I know what's your definition of straight people hair come on. Uh, <laughs> oh, what if I hurt them feelings though <laughs> I don't know. It's less fun. Does is that fair? Would that be fair to say? <laughs> I think it's fairly fair as fair can be. Fairly fair as fair can be. There we go. That's fine. This is what two Libras doing a podcast sounds like. I'm sure. The fairest of the fair. So yeah, moving past that <laughs> hurtful comment about straight people and their boring hair. Sorry, guys. Um, every single queer person that I know has cool hair or. Well, there's, there is a variety of styles, and sometimes it's interesting, sometimes it's really cool, sometimes it's trendy, sometimes it's questionable, <laughs> but all the queer people that I know have cool hair, okay? And it's not an accident, guys. It's not an accident. So I was interested about this, and I think, I think about hair quite a lot. Every time I see my mum, she makes a comment about my hair, because I have short hair, I have a man's haircut, because I go to a barber, and men cut my hair like all the other men in that shop um, and oh I was just going to clarify that I'm going to be talking today primarily about white queer people's hair because I, I realised that there's um, a hugely more complex issue around black people's relationship with uh, their hair and the uh, policing of it and then uh, queer black people is a, is a very different topic altogether um, so I'd like to do that in a separate episode yeah. um, and just give it, give it the real time and um, space to, to discuss it better uh, okay, so going back to my flawed relationship with my mother. Um, <laughs> she doesn't like it doesn't my hair. It always come back to that, Hannah. It does always come back to it. Every single time that I go and see her, it's about my hair. Uh, that's the first thing that she says. Can that and then whether, whether, whether or not I've put on any weight. But my weight doesn't bother me, my hair bothers me. Um, because it's, it's expression, right? It, it carries so much uh, implication about your style and your, your presentation, the way you want the world to see you. Okay, one of the first things people often notice about you is your hair, is your hairstyle. And I used to, I used to hate going to the hairdresser um, because they would never, they would never do what I wanted. Okay, so I'd, I'd go in and I'd say, okay, I want from, from about the age of thirteen, like I was always outdoors. I once caught my hair in a drill and I almost ripped out a huge chunk of it. I wanted short hair. That was what it was. I just wanted short hair. <laughs> and you were prepared to get it. I was, I wanted so badly. Um, so I'd go into the hairdresser and ask them to just like give me a bob. That was about as much as I could stomach. Please give me a bob. And they would look at me, look at my mum, and then not do it. And they would just cut, like, two inches off the bottom. And I ended up with hair, like, past my waist, mm -hmm. like, down to my butt. And I'd, like, sit on it at school. And there's pictures of, like, me, a really awkward tomboy girl when I was younger, like, with my hair tied... Something going on upstairs. <laughs> tied back, just, like, in a low ponytail, looking like a founding father, with, like, a long ponytail down That was Rapunzel bed. upstairs, just cutting off her... <laughs> just cutting yeah, off just her ponytail. The oh, weight of it hitting yeah, the floor. Pigtails, yeah. <laughs> um, and I actually found out, uh, not last year, but I think the year before, I found out that the reason they never did what I wanted was because my mum was going to the hairdressers the day before me and not bribing them, just being like, whatever she says, don't do it. She doesn't know what she wants, don't cut her hair how she says. And she, when I, when I found this out, we were all, I was at, out at dinner 
And my mum was just like giggling to herself about it. I was like, that's so hurtful. That's Dark. So, I was, yeah, I was so hurt because it it was removing an autonomy of my, like, from me. And I was in this like horribly pubescent body. I didn't know what was going on. Like, I was the 30. mother's wink between you know the hairdresser. I think that's. That's awful. I'm so right. sorry, mate. That's okay. It's uh, you know, it's not water. If I was her, you know, I'd be more more concerned about you know ha you hanging around drills. To be honest, right. rather than your haircut. But you they know? they didn't have that kind of worry. I was allowed to use saws and drills. They bought me a what did they buy? They bought me a set of tools and a workbench when I was about fourteen. So it's their own fault. I'm gay. Like it's their own fault. <laughs> they did that to me. Uh, I think they need to be yeah, picking apart that rather than... <laughs> exactly. They, knew, they clearly knew something, but just don't, didn't want me to cut my hair. Having not met your mum, I'm now imagining this kind of uh, hairdresser, kind of uh, gangster figure that is kind of going around and keeping all the hairdressers, <laughs> you know, in check and just being like... No queer kids, no queer kids, okay? <laughs> no queer haircuts. Um, and I was... I, I, because I think about this a lot, I was wondering, what, like, why did that matter to me? Part of it is definitely because, like, I was trying to gain some sort of autonomy over my own body. But I do think a huge amount of it must have been tied up in, like, the, my queerness. Hmm. Um, I didn't, I didn't really, maybe not my queerness, but in, like, my masculinity. Because I think I, I do come across as, like, quite masculine to some people. I don't feel it, but I think other people would read me as quite butch. Hmm. Um... I do own multiple power tools, so that's probably where that comes from, partly. Um, but I didn't, I didn't feel right, and I was looking at these styles, these other styles, and so butch in uh, aesthetic, butch in, butch in action rather than aesthetic. I don't know. Do you do you think I'm butch? I mean, now I think I can see that. Yeah. Well, I so everything I'm wearing at the moment, apart and from my underwear, is and mean. <laughs> a men's clothes so yeah. I'm wearing men's jeans and a men's man's t-shirt um, they're actually not men's jeans and a man's t-shirt because they're mine but uh, I didn't nick them off anybody but they um, the, that gives me the appearance of quite a masculine frame and I think that masculinity is, is tied up with butchness right and it's often I personally have this feeling that butch, being butch is something you get told you are and isn't necessarily always something people identify with. Like, there are surely some people who do identify with being butch, but for me, definitely, it's something that I'm told I am, not necessarily that mm. I feel I am. I think I'm quite soft, <laughs> you know? So what is the difference between, you know, butch and then soft butch? You know, that is a very particular nuance to add. You know, soft is kind of, you know, oxymoron. An oxymoron. Yeah, I, I was about to say oxymoronic, but that's not... <laughs> that's, <laughs> not slower. that's not the English... Uh, word for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um. Well, there's there's a you know there's a whole load of words and there's like stone butch and there's like uh, soft butch, like you said, the smutch, which is smart butch, and um, I don't I don't know I don't know what the differences are, and I'm sure that like a lot of people don't know I don't I don't know who's trying to put us all into little boxes. Mm. Yeah, uh, the queer people that I know just tend to be like a huge like shifting mass of queer people <laughs> that like shuffled. are moving between genders at any given time moving around in their expression in their like identities and it's never just like i am a soft butch lesbian and this is how i will always be mm. i used to wear dresses and like have long hair and like enjoy going out in heels mm. and then that's not the case anymore but it's yeah still a version of you I suppose maybe it's just whatever you are at a given time but so I, I I was interested in like why lesbians have short hair like why is that an association um and not all lesbians do have short hair the thing is that you just you notice the lesbians that do okay so I had like I mentioned I had really long blonde hair down to my waist mm. when I went out and outwardly I was expressing that, very that. femme so the outward expression was one thing, but I, the people that we tend to notice stand out. Mm. Okay, so the the lesbians that tend to stand out are very, much more masculine because that's there's like a bit of a taboo there about people not conforming to gender. That's why I'm sure there's an association of gay men being femme 
is because they are the examples of homosexuality that, that people notice mm-hmm. um, and that's just because they're the only visible ones it doesn't mean they're the only valid ones or, or the only um, real ones so mm-hmm. femme lesbians do exist they're just less noticed and mm-hmm. that's not always it's not always a good thing because we want to be noticed by our like by our community and have that connection yeah I've had um, you know a few conversations with very you know femme presenting uh, lesbians mm. uh, who you know you know struggle to be noticed uh, in queer scenes and you know mm. think that you know they're going to be like you know outcast or left out from certain you know certain scenes or certain uh, you know events or you know because of their because of being straight passing mm. and I think the idea of passing is really interesting in in queer culture um, because a lot of the time things like clothes and haircuts and you know makeup um piercings and tattoos and all that can add to um you know the contrast of this kind of heteronormativity Mm. that um by definition queer culture kind of you know rubs against and goes against yeah exactly and it is very interesting i used to not be allowed to used to not get admitted into gay clubs in manchester Mm -hmm. because i was presumably too femme but they use the term it's regulars only which is code for, I don't think you're gay. Fuck off. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I also, I wonder if there's like a bit of a, a chicken egg situation mm. because of that, like you said. Um, and I'm sure that people who do feel particularly masculine, like the, so I want to stay away from saying like men's fashion and women's fashion because I think there's, that's not what it is. I think it's masculine fashion and feminine fashion mm. because the mask lesbians tend to quote-unquote follow the mask uh, men's trends mm. okay um and so i'm sure for some people that that feels right like having short hair feels right because it matches the fashion the style that you feel comfortable in but also equally there's so many so many stories that i've heard from people of being like i want to be noticed i want to be noticed by this person that i know is queer or i want to be mm. to feel at home in my in this queer space that i go to so you get a haircut that matches you know or because it, it's so visible. Yeah. So yeah. Definitely. I um, the one time I wore a, a skirt to the RVT, I regretted every single inch of it. Um, <laughs> it was a hot day, okay. Um, and uh, yeah, I got chatted up by a um an extremely butch um person, uh, kind of punky, you know, skinhead, um, and I felt like I'd definitely been you know boxed into uh, being this kind of femme. You know, the presumption was that I was queer because I was in you know, a gay bar, um, watching drag, but there was very much nothing else, you know, that presented that way, um, Mm. according to whatever, (laughs) whatever society, um, you know, I'd worn the same outfit to like, you know, a work function earlier in the evening and I felt out of place, you know, and I think there is this pressure to, you know, adhere to the, the queer, you know, the queer rules of fashion and, you know, know, the signposts in order to kind of, without going in with a you know a flag wrapped around your shoulders um and you know a sign a glittery sign that says like i'm gay definitely gay (laughs) definitely gay and as well with that there's the issue of of um so i think there's a big issue with femme lesbians being always attributed as or like boxed into being submissive Mm. because of the kind of idea that um femininity equals submissiveness and masculinity equals dominance and Mm. you end up with loads of extra expectations or assumptions about you just because of the way that you dress and it's not helpful to just take those societal gender expectations from straight people and put them onto the queer community just by the way we present and it's almost like not trying to be a separate uh, like a unique community not trying to be an inclusive community we're just trying to replicate it in a different way and <laughs> i think there's there's some damaging ideas yeah. in that not to say people can't be submissive or dominant it's just the, you don't you shouldn't expect things of people before checking you know yeah coming back to that idea of like wanting to be visible wanting to be seen in the right way i think there's a lot to be said for like well i don't know actually tell me tell me what you think about this but do you think there's a real thing of like having a coming out haircut? I'd like not not like you do it at the same time, but it's like <laughs> I'm now comfortable enough with my gayness that I'm going to get the gay hair. <laughs> I think um, I think there's something in it, you know. I think there really is something in it, and um, 
I can only go on my, my own personal experience, but uh, uh, yes, very much, um, very much so. Cut off all my hair, uh, felt immediately, you know, freer. And I think any kind of question marks that had been in my kind of friendship group around, you know, I was known for my hair. Uh, similar to you, I had long blonde hair. I could, if I put a hoodie on, it was a little tail that came out the bottom, um, like a pony. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was it was a big thing. You know, I was known as having this, had this huge like bouffant kind of beehive. Um, which was still, you know, an exertion of my queerness, you know, mm. having this kind of, you know, Amy Winehouse come for me. Like, it was a huge, huge beehive quiff thing I had on my head. It looked ridiculous. My mum referred to it as the Princess Anne haircut. Uh, <laughs> and I got a haircut pretty much a couple of months later. Um, yeah. She drove me yeah. to that. Mm, correlation. Um, but, yeah, as soon as I, I, you know, I did feel the weight lifting and, you know, this immediate um connection to more kind of visibly queer culture you know i i cut my hair off and i looked like a kind of mick jagger david bowie love child um <laughs> who had just kind of landed from eastern europe and i called up a friend of mine um who had short hair the only other person i knew who had uh, short hair and we went to shoreditch and they got me to get some hair putty and taught me the difference between wax and putty and gel and uh, we tried them all out and I suddenly felt more comfortable. Yeah, and that sounds like that sounds like a really lovely coming of age story. That like yeah. you were taken to like try out these new hair products and felt more comfortable. And it it, it did it does feel like I don't know. It just finally felt for me when I I did cut off all my hair. I did it under the guise of donating it because that was mm -hmm. the only way I could work out to get my mum on board. And actually she turned up at the hairdressers when I was due to have a cut-off and she stood in the doorway wringing her hands and said, please don't do this, Hannah, please don't, don't. Did you manage to find a hairdresser that your mum didn't sort of have no, some sort of shares in? It was, it, well, it was, my, it was my hairdresser, which was also my mum's hairdresser, but my mum's friend came with us as well and I pointed at my mum and I said, you've got to take her away. Mm -hmm. So she took her off and I got my hair cut. My first queer haircut, that one, was horrible it was very clear that that hairdresser was not used to cutting short women's hair they weren't on your side or even like men's hair it turned out <laughs> um so it wasn't great but like a decision had been made and then i, I um, ended up getting it redone again like at uni a few few weeks afterwards or a few months afterwards and and it was better but it's a process you know yeah it is a process i guess you work out what style you want as well as it being like a bad cut or a good cut you don't know what style's going to work mm. do you um, think you found your style now do you think this style represents um, you kind of short back and sides yeah i think i think roughly this like sometimes i let it go a bit longer and um especially in the winter i get really cold <laughs> so i let it grow longer around like the bottom but in the summer i like to have a fade top of the years um top of the years getting a little exactly bit. they get a little bit breezy but um yeah, I think this is it. This is it. And I've also got a barber in London that I really like that's um it's just really nice. They I just like even when I just cycle past them, if mm. they see me, they wave as I go past, like even if I'm not getting my hair cut, which is nice. So how so I have a question for you. Mm. How important do you think it is to have like a regular barber or somewhere you can go where they know you mm. and or you know, or you know, gender neutral barber shops or um or even, you know, female and non binary only barbershops what do you think the positives are so I do, I do think it's important to have a have a barber mm. or like a hairdresser that is your person that you go to I think there's a number of reasons why that is beyond just like they can become a friend mm -hmm. and that's quite nice um but they know what you want so like I used to go to this barber none none of them wanted to cut my hair they would just like be sat on the sofa and like they'd pass me over for someone who came in after me and like it was always this, the youngest guy who looked, he looked about 15, who'd cut my hair. It was the cheapest haircut I could get, which is why I went. And he just did a bad job every time. And so I just, I lost faith. <laughs> and I had to go to a, a hair salon to get that, that cut fixed. Because it was a horrible haircut the day before a wedding. So I went to this wedding with horrible hair, really upset, felt really ugly and gross the whole time. And then I went to a hairdresser's and paid like 50 quid to get it fixed a few, few weeks later. Thanks. And it was just, it was very painful. But now I have this regular barber and it just, it feels like, I feel like I could trust them. Mm. You know, and because for me, and I know this isn't the case for all queer people, but for me, my hair is a very strong indicator of of like how I feel 
if that makes sense. Mm. And it feel, I feel like when I look in the mirror, when I've got short hair and it's, it's been freshly done, I feel like I'm looking at myself. Mm. Um, I didn't feel that when I had long hair and when I was wearing dresses, I would just look in the mirror and I knew that like what I saw was a beautiful young woman, but it didn't feel, no it wasn't, you. yeah, it just didn't look like I was looking at myself. And so I like to have a, my hair cut at least every month, at least every four weeks. Um, because it is for me probably the equivalent for other people like putting on your favorite outfit every day or like mm-hmm. making sure that you get your nails done or your eyebrows done or something like that it is the thing that indicates to myself that I'm worth looking after so I like to get my hair cut for that reason I think I did have a, a bit though I was thinking about like like when I when I went to university that's when I first decided to cut my hair mm. and that's also the first time I had queer friends who also had short hair and I was trying to break this down when I was researching is like I think there's two things there so I think the, the one one thing is that um, it's finding role models that like were inspirational or like who had fashion goals mm-hmm. so I grew up in a small town and there was only straight people so I, I tried to emulate what I saw because um, I wanted to fit in I didn't want to be like shouted at and things like that or like made fun of which like I was bullied when I was younger because I couldn't do it right I didn't fit in and I finally saw like queer people dressing masculine and things like that and just being happy and comfortable and also being really cool and nice and awesome and interesting so part of it I think is that like that wanted to emulate what I liked what I wanted to be Mm -hmm. and then as well I think that by associating or like gaining friends and like moving in these circles and realizing that like I didn't I didn't think anything negatively about them and I loved them for who they Mm -hmm. were so it then became easier to see that it would also be okay for me to do that and like match that so it's like an acceptance thing as well as like an aspirational thing giving yourself permission you know the same permissions that you give other people yeah exactly and so there was actually a a quote that i thought that was really nice um so this is a from a a lady called lindsay kale um from a a website called dopes on the road talking about getting their hair cut um short for the first time or like what it's like to to have a fresh haircut Uh, she said I literally see myself reflected and I know that sounds obvious and overstated but it's a beautiful experience for a person who spent decades seeing an image reflected that didn't match my innermost experiences of myself your style is one of the first things people notice about you and your style silently speaks your truth to the world Mm -hmm. which I thought was nice because it it does and it tells people if it is like overtly queer whatever that means like it is an indicator and people can read you better and, and like you don't have to go through the whole thing of like dropping into a conversation oh I'm gay like mm-hmm. and having that mm-hmm. like oh cool 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 like <laughs> for me I feel quite comfortable that most people look at me and they're like she's probably quite gay like <laughs> remarkably gay <laughs> unmistakably gay exactly and so like what do you think Daisy what do you think uh, makes it a lesbian haircut I think you know the short haircut is um very much, you know, the gateway drug to queerness, I think. Like a buzz cut, like short backside. Yeah, or... definitely, you know, the first time I had a, a buzz, you know, a buzz around my ears and a buzz at the back. Um, yeah, I felt, you know, I felt that feeling, you know, of the, the you know, the movie star walking out, um, slicked back hair and feeling, <laughs> feeling every inch of, like, himself. Mm. I felt, you know, a huge draw to that kind of, you know, the mask energy, but also, you know, the confidence that comes with like, you know, movie stars and rock stars of just, and I'd never really noticed it before. Um, I used to have super long hair, didn't, didn't get it cut for a really long time. Then had my sort of Mick Jagger, um, disaster cut, um, which was short at the top and long at the sides, sort of oh. a reverse kind of mullet. Um, <laughs> And I, yeah, after I'd, after that had sort of grown out, I then had the you know the choice to to cut it in the way that um, that I you know that I felt comfortable with. Um, what was your actual question? What makes uh, what the... do you think makes a haircut gay? Like a lesbian haircut? I definitely yeah. I think it's it's definitely anything that presents as you know something out you know outlandish and something that causes you to you know to look within and as you say like it represents so many different. You know so many different things it's short hair because it's you know probably a little bit gay mm-hmm. and um you know in the same way that mohicans are like unmistakably punk um, right yeah, yeah yeah and um, spikes and whatnot exactly yeah. yeah you wouldn't have that and um you know of course you can be a gentle punk but you would you wouldn't be like oh i'm, I'm definitely not a punk <laughs> not, not, not not i <laughs> um i mean i just i do associate um getting my my own hair cut short with uh 
you know a freedom of expression that just it just kind of ticks a couple of boxes mm. off the back you know so you don't have to then there's not so as many follow-up questions yeah which is nice yeah and it's it, not a surprise not a shock yeah. to anyone afterwards um <laughs> yeah that's quite nice it's just the amount of times queer people have to come out throughout their lives like if we can make it easier or like in in a way that's subtle mm. it makes our lives easier wasn't there um, like i feel like in the in the 90s there was a thing about um you know earrings uh oh one of the other ones had to be one or the other, other and i had no I, i've I, never I, known i've never every known. guy i've seen with one <laughs> earring i have to look it up again and be like is it a gay or pirate is that a gay thing <laughs> exactly so yeah it don't i like because i tried to look it up and like i googled lesbian haircuts and it just came up with loads of like top 50 lesbian haircuts i was like that's not i do have a, i do have a very embarrassing um story i had a very embarrassing encounter with uh, an old boss of mine yeah and um his uh, his wife had a uh, had a had a haircut um well i saw a photo of his wife and i just had um what i refer to as the lesbian undercut. Ah, oh, nice. Um, it was my first time having the lesbian undercut. And I saw a photo of his wife and he said, oh, yeah, you've got a very similar hairstyle. And I said, oh, you mean the lesbian undercut? <laughs> and then immediately bit my tongue, uh, <laughs> swallowed it down into the pit of my stomach and, like, stared at him, realising, of course, in the moment, that is my male, cis, straight boss, very much my senior. And uh, he said, what? And I said, What? <laughs> <laughs> And he said, the, the what? I said, the undercut, the undercut. And I omitted the word lesbian. Because uh, it's not appropriate to, to refer to your, your boss's spouse as a lesbian. As a lesbian. Um, yeah, wow. And these are the things you learn in the, uh, in the corporate world. Yeah, you live and learn. Yeah, you do. Turns out. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do associate, you know, I associate the undercut with, uh, you know, the queer presenting. Yeah, and that's, and that's one that came up. Because, I, well, I was looking, so, oh, like... There is there's some quite good research um, that I have not managed to cover in a huge amount, but um, there's a lot of research, especially of post-World War II, um, lesbian fashion, like queer signalling, things like that. And it appears that like for the majority of this, this period, post-World War II, lesbian, quote-unquote, lesbian haircuts have followed the fashion, the masculine fashion for men's, hmm. uh, men's haircuts. So... The, like for, like the mullet the iconic mullet or one called the ducks the duck's ass do you know which one that is ass. it's the one that has like danny zuko has where he combs it all back and they get that little line down the oh, back yeah, you know okay. that's called a duck's ass um but i looked at like loads of other terminology about like short back and sides and like different sort of lengths and things there's not really any kind of mm. um consensus on like what you call yeah. those um but they do tend to go with it like you might remember the time in the early 2000s when every lesbian looked like Justin Bieber. <laughs> yeah, because yeah? that was the style, that was the thing. The Justin Bieber. The Justin Bieber hair. And it's um, the researcher um, Alex Genter, or Genter, uh, wrote in, sorry, I'm going to say, in their research, which is called um, Appearances Can Be Deceiving, Butch Femme Fe Fashion and Queer Legibility in New York City, 1945 to 1969. Um, they wrote, lesbian visibility in mid-century was almost entirely dependent on gender transgressions in the form of mannishness. So it does seem that like there's, there's a huge tie with visibility and masculinity. And so I reckon some of that will be tied to, if probably if I read more of that article, it will be tied to the sort of progression of the um, women's roles in the workplace and during World War Two, especially women took on a lot more like traditionally masculine jobs in factories like in mm. production in farming in um, roles that were very masculine and very practical and um, also gave women an independence from men let's say and where some women went uh, like left the workforce after the war some women stayed and then there became like a, a whole signaling thing about like having carabiner keychains and things as an indicator of being gay because mm. it's to do with like having a masculine industrial job that you keep because you're like quote unquote the man of the house or, or you know the masculine party in the relationship mm. um but so more recently i think that the the i have this theory okay hear me, hear me out hear me out I have this theory that recently with the rise and availability of social media, as negative as it can be in a lot of ways, there's a, a, lot, a lot more options for queer fashion to develop separately to straight fashion. Okay, mm. Because um, definitely for me when I was first coming out, like when Instagram was like, oh, really new, 
I used the hashtags to find other queer people on Instagram. Like, yeah. And there were so many people with like really cool hair or like really good fashion, mostly mega rich people that are like, I'll never be able to emulate, but like I could do some of it in some way. Mm. And like hair is a fairly cheap way to emulate fashion, like rather than buying like a 300 pound jacket. Mm -hmm. And so there's loads of influencers now, YouTubers, and these are realistically free services yeah and you can reach and you can like reach your own community that way and see other fashions which i think is probably that plus famous queers coming out and like it, more films including mm. queer women have influenced um our sort of style choices and i think that I, we're now seeing like a bit of a branching away yeah from the men's fashion yeah, yeah. Or the masculine fashion sorry um, and now, like lots more color, lots more um, different styles, varieties, and you get, you know, you get those the really sharp lines in, like mm. uh, Ruby Rose, like she's very sharply cut, like her hairdo, or you have people like Ellen DeGeneres has like what I'd call like an old lady queer cut, where <laughs> it's short all over, but fairly neat, but like a you know scruffy, well kept because she's a big celebrity, and and there's now ways to envision ourselves growing up beyond just like what is the current fashion, mm. if that makes sense. We can see ourselves yeah, growing definitely. old. I think um, you know hairstyles do um, you know they're a huge part of the cyclical trends of of fashion. Mm. Um, you know the fifties, you know rock rockability hairstyles, you know teddy boys, you know, and, mm. and alongside that there is always you know this connection to you know queer culture and and um i think with the rise of things like you know tv programs like peaky blinders and mad men and that kind of you know it's very it's a you know very specific style and um you know i really wanted the kind of peaky blinders haircut that kind of fresh buzzed you know with the lines in and it just it was it was scary and exciting yeah um, <laughs> yeah and i think that I really, I really do believe that like queer people are often on the the front lines of like trying new fashions and things like that because we're already on the outside. Mm. We're already like not quite accepted, and we're already doing things that aren't fully allowed. The norm. The norm. So we try other fashions. We can try new hairstyles, and we're no longer dependent on what what like the straight media says is the thing to do because mm. we have our own queer media now, and. I think it's really cool. Also, the quality of haircuts are definitely getting better. I was thinking about this the other day. I went to a party once in Manchester. We we're going to go out um, onto town. Out, out. Out, out. We're going to go out, out. And we all went around to my friend's house, Millie, who was like my first sort of butch friend. And she was really cool and really interesting, like really independent. But she got out her clippers and like one by one, like people were going and sitting <laughs> in the middle of the room and like having their hair buzzed. And she did an okay job, but... Instead of pre-drinks, it's the pre-buzz. Yeah, the pre-buzz. And um, so everyone was getting their hair freshly done to go out on the town looking good. But <laughs> I was just thinking that there's, there was no... There was almost no resource on the internet then to, like, look up how to cut someone's hair. Mm -hmm. And now there's endless amounts of, like, how-tos or, like, step-by-step um, -step guides on how to dye your own hair, how to cut your own hair, that a lot... The quality is much better. Definitely... Uh, like quarantine style haircuts but just for <laughs> students because because we couldn't get haircuts because like there's an issue with asking for a butch haircut as a woman in a in a barbershop like I said mm -hmm. I couldn't get a haircut from anybody senior in a barbershop for ages you yeah. like I've been to so many um hairdressers where they just want to give me a femme version of the cut mm -hmm. that you have to like say no like shorter, this is a problem. shorter. This is still a problem yeah yeah it is like I think yeah it's I do feel I feel embarrassed every single time I go into a you know traditionally um you know men's barbers or you know grooming parlor I was about to call it I don't think I've ever been in a grooming parlor <laughs> parlor I'm, dogs, not at all. I'm yeah. sure yeah um but you know I, I don't know the numbers I don't know what number it's I'm just like this you know and I think there is this kind of nervousness but you know engaging with you know the internet and like you know thank god it's gone a bit more beyond tumblr which was <laughs> like my my gateway um <laughs> the knowledge knowledge is power and mm. um thank you the internet for having you know and for all the queer barbers out there who are putting up these you know step by steps and how to guides yeah. and the queer influencers who are saying it's okay and you know yeah. here's all the info you would ever need and more yeah exactly uh the first time um yeah my first my big my big chop my big haircut were um i could they cut off about 12 inches and again i was similar to you i was um yeah, the guys of donating it and um, they had to go in one one big go. Um, 
I remember the, the sort of trainee um, at, the, at the salon uh, said, like, are you sure? You know, and we had this lengthy process where they were like, oh, I have to go get my, my manager and we need to make sure that you're okay with this because people are very attached to their hair. And I was honestly like... Not I, just, I just told you I wasn't. I was like, I want it gone. I was like, yeah. I was like, this must be exciting for you as a hairdresser. Like, surely you want to just, you know, put it in a ponytail and chop it off. That like, must be the most exhilarating feeling. Um, slash, I'll do it if you're really uncomfortable, and then you can make it, you know, make it better. But I think there was this hesitancy from, you know, from the poor trainee um, mm. hairstylist who just didn't want to be the, you know, be the person who had like ripped my femininity from me potentially, or you know. Yeah, um, exactly. Whereas that's all I wanted in that moment. Um, yeah, I was just going to come on to this actually. This that sort of thing is just, there's um, an author actress um, Lena Waithe who shaved off her dreadlocks like a few years ago. Basically, she told Variety. I'm sure that's the name of the magazine. I think I felt like I was holding on to a piece of my femininity that would make the world feel comfortable with who I am, and that was the reason they hadn't done it before. Bec and I, I think that's probably the same reason I waited so long before cutting my hair off is because I thought. Well, I'm not acceptable as a gay woman, so if I can make myself feminine and acceptable in that way, then then I'm okay. And then finally, it, it was too much in the end. I just cut it all off, and, and it was liberating because it was it wasn't just the fact that I'd cut it off, but because I'd got to that point of accepting that mm -hmm. I was allowed to cut it off. I think, but yeah, I think you know, barbershops as well. Like most queer presenting women will have, most women have negative experiences with men, and most queer women will have negative experiences with men specifically about their queerness so I'm sure that there's like a lot of that tension in going to a barbershop and then when you're you're ignored or you're you know you're you're treated poorly it only only reinforces that idea that you're not acceptable so what I actually what I wanted to do was I've got I've got a few just two examples not yep. not many but two examples of queer barbers in London oh great because I thought like what do we do like do we just keep trying to go into the straight barbers and like make them accepted or do we just make our own space mm -hmm. right and I thought that probably making our own space is good and like support queer queer people in their business ventures and like I know that yeah, one of these um, definitely had like a, a fundraiser over lockdown to try and um, keep open and I used one of their videos uh, to cut mine and my partner's hair during yes. lockdown as well Try um, and yes, exactly. So uh, the two that I'm going to mention are um, in London, like I said. One is called Open Barbers, that's in Hoxton, and one is called um, Barbarette. Barbarette in Hackney. So I actually, I actually thought they were like. Com I only thought there was Open Barbers until I like I had to actually look for quite a while to find Barbarette. So Open Barbers was founded in 2011 by Gregory Vass and Clara Vanova as a series of like pop-up events so I've lifted this from their website and evolving it evolved into like a, a sublet um, for another another business and then Felix Lane joined in 2011 and then in 2013 Gregory and Felix completed their completed some um, hairdressing MVQ level two um, and then completed hairdressing they did some more numbers of hairdressing <laughs> and then Felix and Gregory direct Open Barbers and Clara moved on to direct, uh, to run Barbarette in London and also now lives in Prague with her sister yes, and runs one there as well, which I think is really cool. Yeah, I've, I've got some more information on them here, but I just like um, openbarbers.com is the Open Barbers website and barbarette.co.uk forward slash London mm. is the one from them. And I yeah, think it's really I, cool. I found I found the Barbara um, Instagram uh, quite early on when I was looking for, you know, I was willing to commit to a barber. Yeah. And I think both of them do, you know, they kind of, they have a sliding scale of, uh, you know, affordability. Which yeah, I find pay what you can. You know, absolutely integral to a lot of, you know, a lot of queer spaces and, you know, whether that's events or... Mm. Or hairdressing. You yeah, know, I think it's yeah. I think it's a really really important thing to consider. There's just something there's something lovely mm. about having your hair cut and like and that's not just for queer people like yeah. it's for anybody for uh, uh, like older people who don't get out often like going for a haircut is a really lovely treat like I remember seeing um all the women in the hairdressers like in the hair salon in Bristol like getting their hair washed and just like the the sort of joy and relaxation on their face mm. of like having that done and then equally like we've all seen those videos of like um, pe homeless people having their hair cut and a shave mm. for the first time in it's years. Immensely and it's, personal. It's, it is. It's immensely personal, and it is such, such a strong indicator to be like mm -hmm. you are enough, yeah. right? You're worth looking after. 
and so yeah that's that's what i wanted to talk about today uh, thank you so much that was uh, that was a lovely thing to talk about um uh so it's what you've been talking about um this kind of you know hairstyles and um haircuts being um you know very much a signposting of of queerness and queer culture um i think that leads me nicely onto the topic that i've been researching uh this week which was um the notion of camp and the notion of camp with capital c Ooh. um and you know i read so i um I've, i picked up a copy of uh susan sontag's notes on camp okay. from a my local bookshop uh, shout out to queen's park books whoop, whoop. um and it was, a, it was a little a little turquoise ditty that was like a pound and it's it's got this essay in by susan sontag and it you know it's about it's about the notion of camp which i think is uh, often thrown around as a quite a vague term mm. um, in LGBT and um, and queer culture. Um, something that I certainly saw as fairly vague. Um, you know, I had an idea about you know what camp was, and you know sometimes it's seen as quite a you know derogatory and kind of negative. Um, has quite negative connotations. But I sort of I, I, I read a bit more into it, and um, actually, I think uh, Sontag's essay. You know, sums it up very nicely um, with this idea that you know camp is to exaggerate. Mm, which, okay. You know, it, and the reason I refer to myself as as queer um, is that it is you know an umbrella term that includes you know theatricality and you know a very political um, standpoint, mm. as well as you know not having to label you know assign myself to any one of the you know letters yeah. in the acronym. Um, I think. Um, you know, if we interrogate the notion of camp, we uh, uncover some, you know, really specific nuances that are actually quite, um, you know, quite exciting. And, um, you know, camp comes in many different forms, you know, that, you know, it can be you know, a verb, you know, you have camp people, um, you have camp... Um, like activities? You have camp activities, yeah. you have, you know, you have camp objects. And, you know, there is a lot of campness in, you know, in, in theatre, but also, you know, in film, but also in, like, in interior design. Um, yeah, yeah, I've heard people say like it's a bit campy. Yeah. Well, like there's yeah, I think of, of panto, I think specifically. Mm, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, feather boas are camp. Mm. Um, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The ballet is extremely camp. You know. I always wondered if campness was was defined by like femininity in something that would normally be masculine. If that makes sense, like because mm. men tend to be called camp when they exhibit feminine gestures or mm, like the kind of a, a way of speech yeah. or like a deferential manner yeah so i think it's more um you know um definitely there is an overlap of you know homosexuality and and campness um but also just camp as a general you know term of like exuberance and exaggeration i re i found that you know a lot more um like you know i found a lot of clarity there mm. um and you know this idea of playfulness and humor um, and theatricality in things that you do, you know, potentially as a, as a queer person, um, you know, or just a, you know, a person who is camp. It doesn't have to be, you know, it's not, you know, a hand gesture, which I think for a long time in my mind, it was just associated with, um, mostly kind of straight people mocking, um, mm. mocking kind of gay people like, or effeminate, yeah. uh, males. Um, do you see yourself as camp? So, this is a very interesting question, Hannah. Yes. Um, I was recently referred to as camp in yeah. my workplace. Um, you know, a, a place of professionalism. And, wow. you know, a place, you know, where, you know, there's all this spiel about, you know, bringing your whole self to work and, um, you know, being who you are and having, um, <laughs> yeah, it being, you know, brand you. And um, I was referred to as camp by... Um, by a, a gentleman I sort of tripped over you know as you do in a professional workspace um, I, I fell over and I styled it out cool good uh, you was, saved it I definitely saved it and I kind of turned it into a sort of jaunty skip and I, uh, <laughs> I clicked my heels and I styled it out um, no, you know not assuming anyone watching me and uh, this very senior man said to me um, he said oh that was a bit camp and he could hear it in his tone like what camp and I said thank you for noticing and uh you know i felt you know i think this, that's the best response it was right? really uh, you know i'm very proud of myself no no matter how pink i might have been as i you know sauntered away 
Um, but so, so there are four com components of camp that I've uh, that I've found in my research that uh, people have identified. Um, one is irony, you know, the idea that yes, yes, I fell over, but I started out. Um, <laughs> two is you know the aesthetic aestheticism. Three, theatricality, and four is humour. Um, and that was kind of uh, based on, and that was from an essay that I found by uh, Jack Babuscio, uh, which is an incredibly camp name, if I may say so. Um, and it's an essay called Camp and the Gay Sensibility. Mm. Um, and, you know, what, what Sontag and um, Susan Sontag and uh, Jack Babuscio talk about is this idea of, um, you know, playfulness and this idea of something being so outrageous or too much um, in that, it, you know, it kind of transcends being, <laughs> it transcends, you know, failure because it's camp. It's the kind of, it's, the, you know, the spirit of extravagance. Yeah. Um, which is something that, you know, I find very connected to, like, ye olde queer culture. Um, and ye oldie being like, early the, 40s. the dan dandy <laughs> dandy sort of confirmed bachelor means he's gay yeah so sort of it's interesting so Sontag actually mentions dandyism um mm. and I think what you know where dandyism is maybe connected more with a um you know kind of a masculism that is um it doesn't allow much like pleasure it's it's kind of being it's kind of a bit of snobbery it's a bit snooty it's oh, about okay. saying I, I like fine wine and I like velvet jackets um and camp is like i'm like in the pit of a theater and you know every and there's too much perfume and okay <laughs> you know i um, and the feather boas are you know are down my halfway down my throat and the feathers are everywhere and is this too many peacock feathers and you know where are there enough flamingos and it's yes 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 more 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 okay, okay. um and <laughs> so so susan sontag says uh, the whole point of camp is to dethrone the serious. Camp is playful, anti-serious. And I think I very much connect with, you know, and there's, you know, a connection with the kind of eternal youth of, you know, of queer people as well. And, you know, I definitely connect to this anti-serious and something being so extravagant and ridiculous um, that it can't help but be fun. Um, so if we think about, like, I was particularly interested in camp objects and... Um, I was thinking particularly about um, Carmen Miranda's fruit hat. Do you know who Carmen Miranda is? Um, I have an idea of what that fruit hat looks like. You... So um, it's it's the kind of the turban of you know bananas and it's fresh got a fruit. pineapple on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. she was this you know this she was born in Portugal, but um, she's kind of a um, like a spearhead of um, Brazilian uh, you know showbiz culture. Mm. Um, and she wore these she wore these amazing you know fruit fruit hats and you know uh, banana turbans and things like that and you know used to wear very kind of um, what is now referred to as you know campy kind of costumes um, but they were very much you know a pastiche of uh, the clothes worn by um, you know Afro Brazilian women on the streets of like of Salvador and you know in 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 Brazil and. Um, you know, people who literally carried baskets of fruit on their heads, and it's kind of the the gaze of um, you know theatre and you know maybe a kind of more white American audience who have put this notion of camp like onto onto her. Um, and I think you know there is there is truth in you know in in tribute you know in playing tribute to um, an aesthetic. And you know she was quite heavily criticised um, for being. For kind of making you know creating something that was taken from you know a look that was taken from like real people you know on you know on the streets to you know make it more palatable for a kind of Americanized you know audience and adopting you know a style presenting it for them um, but what I think um, you know the banana bonanza bonnets that she wore uh, bejeweled bonnets I think that is the most camp object I can think of um, the hat. The hat, yeah, mm. the banana fruit hat of uh, Carmen Miranda, because it's you know it's it's about um, you know it's it's humorous and it's um, you know and it's adoring. It's a you know it's not a practical hat. It's never been. It was never intended as a practical hat. It was only ever intended intended as um, you know 
a glorious adoring homage to you know to real people and i think there has to be this you know whereas dandyism is very serious um i think camp is born out of this notion of wanting to play and to, you know you can't have tragedy in camp i think um so i think that's why myself as a queer person i latch on to i latch onto that um because if that if that person at work had called me called me camp and i didn't you know and i was ashamed or um, or, you know, whether it was meant as a kind of uh, a shameful term or not, um, if I had been upset by it, it's only because I'm living in this kind of, you know, I, th I think it is, I see it as a form of oppression, right? And I, and I don't, I think it is a very a liberated word. Mm. Um, where, you know, maybe it, always, it hasn't Yeah, because I mean, I, I do see you as like a very playful person. And I was wondering if, so I have heard that like queer people will often adopt campness um to make themselves less of a threat so mm -hmm. and and will and will also therefore be able to get away with things that that we wouldn't normally be able to so yeah um in that because it's in that spirit of like playfulness and also being like oh you know it's i'm just i'm just camp it's just you know it's one of my one of my funny jokes and i do i do think that like i use it at work mm -hmm. to like get away with being with saying with criticizing people and being like, I don't think what you're saying is right, or like, I don't think the decision that you're making has been fully, fully considered, but doing it in such a way that is less threatening through mm. the medium of the art of camp. <laughs> and I, I, I was gonna ask, like, do you do that at work much? I think, you know, there's this idea that, that camp is a kind of, the world is a very cruel and rejecting place. And I think there are so many things that exclude um, exclude queer people um for me at work um you know even having a conversation about uh you know my weekend it's you know i haven't taken the kids somewhere and i haven't spent time with you know my husband um so automatically if if, if i'm in a team of you know straight women i might automatically feel a little bit kind of distanced um you know and being queer inherently is you know a deviation right and it's very historically seen as that you know not so much anymore but you know it's you know it's celebrated now but it was you know it was a, it was a protest and it you know it still it still is in many places and being camp kind of corresponds to that idea of if the world is going to reject me I might as well you know elevate myself and you know transcend this rejection by being utterly uncaring and utterly you know the most flamboyant I can mm. be, um, yeah. You know, exploring the limits of, you know, the kind of self-fulfilling prophecy of of failure. You know, of saying like, this is too much, but it is. You know, so there's so much love and craft put into it, um, and it's you know absolutely not an accident that something is is camp. I think, you know, Carmen Miranda is aggressively camp um, and aggressively self-assertive. You know, there is no one quite like quite like her um in the same way that you know you, you latch on to these um these very kind of campy characters in 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 movies um mm. and i also oh, i'm thinking of like stephen fry and like uh, sandy off uh, yeah off break off <laughs> i think they're both very camp and also as a result very lovable mm. but very successful it's not it's like they're safety. camp and passive they're just yeah. yeah, and I think camp. Yeah, I think, yeah, being passive is is a really interesting, interesting. Yeah, interesting point in relation to camp, um, because I think camp is deliberate, um, and the research I've I've done is is placing it as a deliberate act, um, and it's you know whereas dandyism is maybe about you know being elite and being detached, um, and to not care, um, camp is about you know caring, caring all too much. Um, but not let, not letting it bother you, you know. Mm. You care, so you know, so other people don't, you know, they don't have to. It doesn't matter. You're on a different, you know, you're already halfway out the door. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it's you know, and it's very charming. So another another example I have of of camp, you know, historical camp, is um, is uh, the dancer and singer Josephine Baker. Okay. Um, who was a sort of you know started her career as you know a comedy chorus girl. Um, and there was a huge, um, and she was known for this um, this dance, um, 
this dance called the banana dance um, in her early career, what? Um, which was <laughs> hugely humorous, um, utterly hilarious. And, you know, she has this kind of this skirt made of bananas and tied around her waist and she's sort of jiggling and and, you know, and thrusting and being, you know, very overtly like sexual and, you know, she's having fun and she's not uh, she's not a victim of a stereotype, you know, it's um, it's not living in the pa in the pain of I don't know or in the shadow of you know colonialism it's, instead it's it's dancing with something that could be painful in its reality you know to live through but it's it's dancing with it you know it's sticking sticking its bum out at it and then it's sauntering away and I think that for me uh, is is camp you mm. know um, it's not just you know a, you know it's not a limp wrist it's a it's a clenched fist on an arm that is then covered in diamonds um, <laughs> you know flicking flicking bits of pink feather boa yeah. out into the audience who are absolutely adoring you mm. and I think there's something entrancing about it as well especially in, in those sorts of like you said in, in, in performance arts I think it's very charming and I think you yeah. know that's something that Stephen Fry and Sandy Tokhtig, um do have you know do have in common as well and I think it's this idea that you have to be so unapologetically yourself mm. same way that you have Tiffany lamps being you know the epitome of camp and um, <laughs> yeah and, and Mae West and you know these characters but I like the idea of thinking of buildings and objects as being camp mm. um, I want to start a camp object collection yeah 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 that would be so good and well I'm I was while you were talking I was thinking of other other camp performances and wondering like how they're used. So, um, for some reason, my thought then went to the producers. Yeah. And the performance of Hitler played campy. In that way, though, his power is being the power of of like the idea of Hitler is taken away by making him camp. And I'm not really sure how that like mm. fits in with it. Is that ridiculing campness, or is it like where does that fit in? I don't really know. I don't know what the you can ridicule campness. I think that is it is just camp. Mm. You know, it's it is making fun and and laughing at. You know, it's not to say that. You know that is not a very a very real subject on its own. It's about saying, you know, in camping something, it, it does make it. You know, you have to see the irony and you have to see the humour. Um, mm. You can't necessarily be offended. You can't be offended by campness. Okay, I think. I don't think I am, but that's good. <laughs> <laughs> it's about, you know, because it's, it's, it's style and character yeah. over the content, you know. The content of Hitler right. is, is very dark and very, you know, yes. and very oppressive, very triggering for a number of audiences. Um, so, so camping, I don't know, I don't think anyone is... If it's done well, you can be, the you camp can be safe. itself is the, is the humour, not exactly. what, it, what is being camped. Yeah. It's style yeah. over substance and it's saying that, you know, the content is irrelevant. It's saying it's it's the flamboyance on top of everything. Um, and, you know, no one is safe from being, you know, a camp, <laughs> a camp uh, portrayed, you know, being portrayed in a camp way, I think. Um, so yeah. I very much, I was absolutely delighted when I was referred to as camp. Um, yeah. And I think there is, a, you know, a question about whether, you know, whether I consider myself camp, I'm not sure. Um, I think I would love to aspire to be yeah. Way more camp, you know, past I the leopard print. Where is I it? wonder if we, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm, and I'm sure that it's not something that can be done 24 7, right? I think it must be something that we do from time to time. Mm. Do you think I'm camp? Oh, that's a very good question. Yeah. I mean, after all this conversation about butchness, mm. can you be both? I think you can be both. Um, you know, I wouldn't say I'm always camp. Um, I think the question of, you know, maybe I would have seen myself as a dandy, but then I think that is a very private existence, you know, just, you know, I, could, I can be a snob about wine on my own time, um, whereas, you know, campness is about kind of, you know, being so overtly yourself quite publicly. Mm. Um, yeah, because I don't, uh, so, for example, with Oscar Wilde, I think a lot of his dandy characters are camp as well mm -hmm. in plays yeah. but not necessarily in his literature mm. so in his own um, prose I reckon 
yeah definitely i had some i did um yeah oscar wilde oscar wilde comes up quite a lot in a, mm. in many of the many of the texts i found <laughs> about camp um, that makes sense so here's a here's a quote from oscar wilde okay um it is through art and through art only that we can shield ourselves from the sordid perils of actual existence and that's from um, a kind mm. of short essay that he wrote called the decay of lying and so the idea of like making oneself into art or performing, you know, being camp, performing, um, you know, acts of campness, surrounding yourself by camp objects, you know, committing to camp theatre and, you know, camp show business or, or whatever it is, however you engage with this term. Um, it's, you know, it's your shield. It's your shield from, you know, the tragedies that you may be experiencing and, you know, other people have experienced, you know, in order to, in order to have, you know, have the safety in it you know mm. years decades later yeah it, yeah i think yeah that's a good point point. and there is like a, a shielding there and i think that the times when i do i don't know because I, I was thinking about this the other day and i i wondered about an interaction i had with um with um, my partner's neighbor whose dog came into their garden and i i was fussing the dog and having a nice time with the dog and then um this guy came round and we talked about the dog for a bit and then I like leaned on the on the fence and looked at him and was like you don't happen to have any rakes do you <laughs> and he was like yes I've got like three and he gave me three different rakes, like rakes. and he's like he was like I've got loads of things he tried to get me to take like other like tools and things but mm. I like that particular gesture was very it was very camp and I think it was disarming possibly because he was very excited to make me borrow his tools so I think, I think possibly like I was, I don't know if I was like feeling playful mm. and that's where the campness was in the play, yeah. play playfulness because I was excited about the dog or if it was like I was trying to, I was using it to like make myself um, less threatening, but I didn't, mm. I didn't really need to be, but you know what I mean? Mm. Like to, to get someone's favor. Yeah. I think mm. that like the connoisseur of camp can adopt these, you know, these safety measures, mm. um, you know, whether it is. A flamboyant gesture you know yeah. whether it's throwing your hands in the air and and saying my rakes or, or you know or, or insert equivalent yeah. phrase here or you know or whether it's you know adopting a different a voice you know quoting mm. uh my west or whatever it is you know adding a feather boa to something adding a feather boa to um you know a political tyrant is going to camp it up in the most deliberate fashion because of the history of the feather boa um you know having a having a, a pristine lawn with a white picket picket fence and then two flamingos you know just inserted there is going to camp up the whole the whole yeah. <laughs> aesthetic of of that house yeah so you don't think so what what i'm i think i'm getting stuck on as well is the idea that like putting for example a feather boa on a statue mm. to me that seems like a an act that's been done to degrade the person who the statues of, like putting a cone on their head. Mm. And what I'm what I'm getting stuck on is is like, how is that not ridiculing campness or like? I think it can't. I think camp can't be ridiculed. Okay, that's what I think. I think it. You know, if you're putting um, it also you know it depends who whom is putting the feather boa. Um, I think, you know, feather bows can relate to campness, but they can also relate to, you know, there is that intersection between, you know, um, gayness and, and queerness and, and camp. Um, it's not, they don't always intersect, but often, often they do. Um, I don't know, I don't, you know, I, I don't know how political the, the feather bow is. Um, of all the things, I think, yeah. it, you know, it's not, it's definitely not intended as... Um, political and I think the idea of putting it around um, you know around the neck of um, of, a, of a statue and let's say the statue is an, a negative a negative statue I think it's about you know taking any sincerity from from that mm. object and saying this is fun now and this is so removing a bit of the, the power of the object it, like, yeah, yeah I think it can certainly or like you know change change where the power is directed you know yeah. Yeah, no, I really like that. It's a uh, yeah. I, I got into a bit of a wormhole about it. Um, watched a whole documentary about <laughs> um, Carmen Miranda and um, Josephine Baker, and there's some there's some fantastic, fantastic essays on camp out there, um, nice. which 
I have only just, you know, scratched the uh, tip of the iceberg of. That's um, really cool. You should send me the link to the, to the documentary and I'll put it in the show notes. Well, yes. And we'll have that there. It's interesting how, you know, butch versus camp, you know, these are just, these are words kind of, that can be quite vague and thrown around mm. in, you know, yeah, in I think queer culture. I just don't really know, like, what, like you said, they're vague and I, they're defined by partly by the person viewing the mm. beholder and also partly by the person who's expert like who's doing it who's experiencing it so one one thing that i i was having a conversation with someone the other day about um short hair so this person is straight but often gets mistaken for queer um because they have um she has very short hair she's quite she's quite muscular she's strong she works in a brewery and like lifts kegs all the time and she's mm. she's just very she's very practical and we were talking about this and this idea that like of butch leading to um, meaning masculinity, meaning homosexuality. Mm-hmm. But then I grew up in the Lake District and all the women that I knew when I was a kid, well, not all of them, most of the women I knew were um, from farming families mm-hmm. and had short hair because it was impractical and pointless to have long hair when you worked on a farm all mm-hmm. day, every day. And so all the older women I knew had short hair and it was only when I moved to a much more um, middle class area where all the women had had um, long hair. It was like they went to the hairdressers regularly, got it re-dyed by hairdressers, never did it at home, that sort Mm. of thing. And I was confronted with this completely alternative view of what it is to be a woman. Mm. Um, And I, um, my mum has quite a few gay male friends who are like really very camp, like very campy. You know, the kind of person that call up and be like, hello, is Vivian there? Like, for my mother. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's a, there's a campness in that. So that was the only vision of, of gayness that I really knew. Mm-hmm. or and, and I enjoyed it. And I think that sometimes I quite like to camp it up. Camp it up. Exactly. I think there is a certain, um, you know, there is a, a privilege in um, adopting, you know, campness. Um, because you don't have to... You know, it's celebrating um, the aesthetics and the and the humour of something without necessarily having, you know, having to live through any of the pain or trauma that could be related to that. Mm. Um, you know, Carmen Miranda wears the wears the fruit basket hat um, and dances and you know and sings her heart away and is adored by millions. Whereas you know, potentially the Afro-Brazilian women who are carrying fruit and other produce on their heads all day in the hot sun um you know that was a very different experience but it you know it's the homage that you pay you know and i would absolutely you know if being camp is you know having my entire downstairs bathroom coated in versace wallpaper then i will absolutely you know attribute myself to that Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um and if it's called you know if it's called camp i think it's to do with yeah, I would like to commit to that and commit to yeah. that notion, knowing that um, you know it does have historical, um, it does have a history, and it you know it does have relevance, and it's you know being redefined now, and you know camp is relevant to butch, is re- is relevant to queer. Yeah, I think sounds like campness has a kind of a, a sort of central idea of of en- enjoying things mm. and being allowed to enjoy things and be yourself. And that's right. I like that a lot. Thank you very much. Thank you. I think that's probably all we've got time for. Definitely. All right. Well, I guess. Bye. Peace out and see you next time. See you there. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.